Well, good morning. Good to see everyone. Glad you are here. I uh, just want to welcome our guests. Um, we have several weeks that there's just a lot, a lot of exciting things that are going to happen the next couple of weeks. So uh, one we haven't mentioned as much, but um, I think it's, it's one of the times that we together just get to uh, really pause and reflect on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is the Lord's Supper, which is next week. So we'll have the Lord's Supper, then we'll have Easter, and then we'll have um, baptism week after that. And the three weeks following Easter, we're doing a series called Stronger Homes. And now this isn't just for the married person, although it's for them as well, but for any single adults, this is for you as well, uh, how to have stronger homes biblically. So we're excited about those things. I encourage you to attend that, invite people. And then I'd also say uh, I've kind of tasked our creative uh, team in this church to, to really do a social media push. Now, some of you that may sound silly too, but I want to ask you how often you're able to get inside your neighbor's house. Not very often. Legally, I should have prefaced that, right? Some, some, who knows where the sermon's going, but uh, legally getting into your neighbor's house is not as easy of a thing. And then if you go knocking door to door, there's obviously negative connotations that sometimes go with that, although we're going to try to do that for Easter. And what I'll mention to you as well is um, if, you're, if you're in one of those neighborhoods that we're targeting, no need to wait for someone else to sign up. Lead that effort. What a better thing than for you to go meet your neighbors and invite them. But we're going to be doing a social marketing push. And one of the just amazing things of modern technology. It can be used for all sorts of negative things, but it can be used for amazing things as well, such as reaching your neighbor. And so our, our creative team is going to be putting out all sorts of stuff in the coming weeks. And what I encourage you to do is when you see it from Troy First Baptist Church on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, if there's anything else, I'm not sure if they're putting on anything else, but to share it, to comment, to do those things. Now that may se seem like a silly request for a pastor to say, but how things are designed nowadays is that when you do that, there becomes an exponential increase. And all of a sudden, there may be a neighbor who is sitting there on their couch, haven't thought about church at all. In fact, they may be on social media for nefarious reasons, and they're scrolling, and all of a sudden, there comes up Troy First Baptist Church. And maybe God will use that moment to bring them to church, or, or even we're going to put content out there, messages of the gospel, to maybe lead them to Christ. So don't take that responsibility lightly. I encourage you, as you see things, be a church that, that does that. All right, so we're in 1 John. If you would go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 2. We're going through verses 7 through 11 today. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 through 11. And we're going to be kind of tackling this question, what happens when you walk around without spiritual light? What happens when you walk around without spiritual light? Now, we've talked about a lot of, in my mind, abstract things. And today we're going to really unpack an idea. We're going to see a very practical application of all the different things that John has talked about when he, he says light and darkness. And I, I've given examples of those, but he's going to give us one very specific one that I think is quite applicable to everyone here today, including myself. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, and look at verse 7 with me, if you will. Verse 7 says this, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have heard from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So first I want to cover how did we get here. We've talked in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, John's testimony that Jesus is the word of life. And then in chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, that God is light. So if we want to have fellowship with him, we must walk in light. 
And then chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, we've seen that we're all sinners, but if we confess, God will cleanse and forgive all unrighteousness. And then we get to see in chapter 2 a little bit about how. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, we see that He is our advocate and our atonement. And then I want to direct your attention. I'm going to reread chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, because it joins together with these verses. So look at verse 3 in chapter 2 with me, if you will. It says, This is how we know that we know Him if we keep his commands. So last week I spoke on assurance of salvation. He says, this is how you know that you know him if you keep his commands. So obedience, obedience to his commands. The one who says I've come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his words, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walks. So after we've covered the testimony of Christ and then wanting to have fellowship with him we have to be in light and and that we are sinners but if we confess he'll cleanse and then how does he do that well he's our advocate and our atonement now he says but how do you have assurance how can you just rest in the promise of salvation will you obey his commands and it'll be on the screen or in your notes first John three twenty three kind of summarizes his commands he says now this is his command that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He commanded us. So God's New Testament command is faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, love of God, love of others. Faith in Jesus Christ, love of God, love of others. So now we get down to chapter 2, verse 7. He says, Dear friends, now, I think that's a Greek phrase, agapetos, and meaning beloved. You've heard the, maybe you've heard the, the word agape, love, right? So it's a, it's a word form of that, dear friends. I think he's saying that, like loved ones, because he's been kind of harsh. He said things like, the one who says, I've come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his command is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen a lot of Christian circles today that they just sit around with each other and, and they start calling each other liars. Not in a, not a, I've heard my kids do that, but not like Christians sitting around and in a serious format saying, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. So he draws this to a more kind of tender tone as he's getting ready to examine a very specific thing. So, dear friends, I am not writing you. Now, if you've followed this series at all, and if you haven't, they're on uh, YouTube. You can go uh, watch them. He says several times why he is writing. It's interesting here that he's telling us why he's not writing. I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you've had from the beginning. Now, you notice John, he likes to say, from the beginning. It's a quote from Genesis, but it's also in the Gospel of John. It's already been in this book once. It's going to be in this same chapter again. So he says, this stuff's not new. It's not new information. It's not new knowledge. It's not, it's not something that you haven't known. It's, it's old. It's from, it's from the beginning. This isn't a new thing, and you can kind of understand why he would need to say that. If, if you've ever had a conversation with someone, you feel like they should understand this by now. You, you should get this by now. You, sh you, should, you should realize this by now. Now, I wonder you, I'll, I'll talk to you, I'll say this to Christians. I guess a non-Christian here today could uh, empathize with this. Have you ever seen another person that you just feel like, why aren't they understanding this? Why aren't they getting this? Why, why are they at this point? How could they have come so far? And this is where I will say specifically to Christians, if you've ever seen a Christian who they've professed Christ for a long time and yet they 
they talk to you this way, and maybe it's condescension, or, or they're gossipy, or, or they cause all sorts of division, and, and you just think, how could they possibly be this way? This isn't new. God doesn't like those things. He's not okay with those things. So he says, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command. And what was the command? To have faith in Jesus, to love God, to love people. It's not a new command. It's what you've heard from the beginning. The old command is the word uh, you've heard. Now verse 8. Yet I am writing you a new command. All right, that's confusing. An old, it's not old, or it's not new, it's old. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So this darkness, this light, he's talked about that a lot. The darkness in the world, the darkness that sometimes we walk in, and then the true light. So Jesus Christ is the true light. Now, when you say the darkness is passing away, you may say, well, how come it's not all the way gone? Why is it still here at all? Why is the true light, if it's already shining, if that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, why, why isn't it just shining out all the darkness? Well, we know that. You've been trusted with a portion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many people that we know have we told? See, the darkness is passing away, but there's a delay in this because the gospel message needs to get out to actually stamp out darkness. The gospel message has to be received by people to stamp out darkness. So when he says... I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He's saying that Jesus has changed this old command. There is an old command. In fact, uh, you see on your paper or on the screen, Matthew 22, 36 through 40, it says, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So verses 36 through 39 there, that, that sounds like new stuff. But verse 40 says, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So it is brand new. The way we do it is different. Jesus changed everything. He changed it from a, a, a ritualistic law to a law of the heart where I'm supposed to love God and love people, and my love of God supersedes my love of people because that means I have to obey God in how I love people. So this has changed everything. And in fact, John 13 on your notes or on the screen says this, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone, that you, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The identifier of a Christian is love. How the world is supposed to tell whether or not they're talking with a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, is love. Now I want to ask you this. Do you feel like, and this is rhetorical, you don't have to respond, you can if you want, I, it won't throw me off, but do you feel like today the church is known for love? Now don't get me wrong, he's talked about holiness He's already said those things. There's this contrast of love and holiness, of love and truth. We've got to have both. That's why I say the love for God supersedes the love for people. It has to be love for God first, because then I have to be concerned with holiness, but it needs to follow that I also love people. I want you to think about even in a church for a second. I wonder if even in this room, there are people who have problems with other people, people who have some unforgiveness in their heart with other people. 
or, or people who maybe we avoid them because they always talk to me this way. And I wonder if even in a church of this size, there are people who are at odds with other people. This says, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command you've heard from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The first point in your paper is this. Love is not a new command. Love is a new way of carrying out the old command. But it's always been the spirit of the law. Love is not a new command. So I'd love for Christians in this room today, as we get into verses 9 through 11, that are really going to unpack this, is to think about yourself for a second, to evaluate yourself. As we go through this scripture, scripture is supposed to be like a mirror where we examine ourselves compared to it. And I want you to start to assess the love in your life. Not, not from a perspective where you should feel buried and just feel just terrible about yourself, but from a perspective of if there's things in my life that that doesn't line up with scripture, I need to change them. That maybe I've been very concerned with truth and that's good, but I carry out truth in a way that is unloving. I wonder if anyone in here has felt that way about another Christian in this church. I'm asking you today, the, the kind of thesis question is, what happens when you walk around without spiritual light? And so we're talking about one very specific thing today where Scripture is going to compare love with the light and hate with darkness. So what happens when I walk around without spiritual light? What happens when I walk around in darkness? I want you to examine yourself today and think about these things. Think about how you yourself maybe interact with even just the body of Christ, but then also the community, also the people, also those who haven't named the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and therefore they have no reason to be obedient to Him. It, it is natural that they are in sin and doing things that, that yeah, that's, that's not holy. It's not good. It's not right. But God loves them and wants to redeem them. And so my conviction over holiness, it doesn't overwhelm my desire to love them. My conviction for holiness should be partnered with my desire to love people. These are a twofold thing. If I forget either, I'm doing it wrong. If I just go on the loose with love and forget holiness and truth, then I've gone wrong as well. It has to be a partnership. It's a very difficult thing that God is asking of us, but he's asking it. He's asking us to partner holiness and truth with love. That means I have to know that something is wrong. I have to see it, and yet I have to love a person anyway. You see, there is righteous anger in Scripture, but so often that, and we'll let God be the one who directs his righteous anger at people, but what he calls us to do is have righteous anger towards sin, to hate sin. But he wants us to love people. So as we get into this, let's look at verse 9, and we're going to unpack this idea and, and see this very, um, I think, applicable uh, example of darkness and light. So look at verse 9 in chapter 2 with me, if you will. It says, The one who says he's in the light, but hates his brother or sister, is in the darkness until now. Now, I'll just note that this is the second of John's, they're called triadic statements, meaning he does three statements. He had them in chapter 1. He said, if we say, if we say, if we say. Well, this is the third. Look at verse 9, the first four words. He says, the one who says. Look at uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. It says, the one who says. Chapter 2, verse 6. The one who says. Chapter 2, verse 9. The one who says. So what he's doing is he is fighting against people, not... Uh, physically fighting, but verbally fighting against people 
who are saying things that are contrary to Scripture. And this one, what he says is, the one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. Now, some things I've talked about in previous weeks is different ways that maybe we're walking in darkness, that, that maybe it's a sin, maybe it's, maybe it's a failure to acknowledge truth, maybe it's a failure to yield to the lordship of Christ. There's all sorts of ways we can be walking in darkness, but the claim here is the person who says he's in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. Hatred toward a person Hatred toward a person is walking in darkness according to Scripture. Now, I wonder if uh, we'll, we'll take this to kind of metaphor territory for a second. I wonder if you've ever walked around in actual darkness. Now, of course you have. Um, but it's an it's a uncomfortable thing. Sometimes you don't realize how much you need your eyes until it's just pitch black. I remember, I'll just tell a story about myself for a second. I remember when I was... I think five years old. Now, recently I've told stories from this uh, platform, and my mom has contradicted my, t- my timeline. So go with my mom, I guess. Um, I think I was five years old. Uh, if she says older, though, it starts to get embarrassing. Um, I think I was five years old, and it was my first night without my nightlight. And if you think that's too old to have a nightlight, then I, I was actually younger probably. But um, So I think I was about five years old, and... One thing you can do when the lights are on is you can, as a kid, leave your toys all over the ground, right? It's not a big, it's not a big deal. You can, and some moms in here testify, right, that kids leave it all over the ground, and it's just like there's no danger. Well, the first night you spend without a nightlight, you know the danger of toys on the ground. So you all will see, and now I'm going to have a bunch of people staring at me. I should have thought this through, but um, I have a scar on my forehead. Because that first night without a nightlight, I went walking. I got up, get a drink, something like that. You know what kids do when they're trying not to sleep. And uh, so I'm walking, and I trip over a toy and whap right on the corner of my toy box. So I still have this toy box to this day. Got a scar right here. Went to the hospital. First night, walking in darkness causes problems. (laughs) Walking in darkness causes problems for me and for you. Now, he's going to give us two reasons why this verse 9 is true. But we can see the one who says he's in light, but hates his brother or sister, is in the darkness until now. We can see why that's true just on its surface. But the way he's going to show us it's true is how we're going to know that it's so applicable to us. Because you may be sitting there today thinking, well, I don't have any hate. There's, There's no hate in me. This is a sermon for someone else. And I'm not trying to drum up sin in your life. I'm not trying to fabricate it. What I'm saying is oftentimes we act in ways that are hateful. We have feelings toward people that are hateful. And when we walk in darkness, it's dangerous. The one who says he's in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. So look at verse 10 with me. We're going to look at two reasons why verse 9 is true. So verse 10 says this, The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So how does this show that hate puts us in darkness? The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. I have this friend, um, he's my friend now, but I was just first getting to know him, and a fellow pastor friend, and we're, I think we were going out to lunch together or doing some um, task for church. I can't remember, but we were in the car together. And so it was a, one of those opportunities in ministry where you just get to sit down with somebody and, and talk for longer. Well, he had told me that his father had passed away. 
and, uh, and I had registered that. But then I also, uh, if you ever go to lunch with me or just sit down for like a, a talk with me, I don't just have a conversation. I usually have a strategy as I go through a conversation. And so one of my things is to find out about people. And so um, I started asking him some of my normal questions that I ask people. And I asked him, oh, tell me about your family. Tell, tell me about your mom and dad. And I think I even said, do they live near you or something like that? And he paused and he looked at me and he goes, well, my dad passed away. And I just thought, oh man. And, and so I apologized because he had already told me that. Now, have you ever had a moment in your life where you have just indignation towards someone because you feel like they should know something? That, that you feel like they should have known that? How dare they? And so I am justified in my anger. I am, I am right to be mad. In fact, it'd be weird if I wasn't mad. Aren't I right? Maybe you go check with somebody else. I'll go, I'll go uh, talk to someone who I know will just kind of confirm my, my biases, right? So I'll just I'll start talking to someone and say, hey, isn't this right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Now, of course, it's my kid, and I'm giving them ice cream or something. But, but we all do that kind of thing where we try to confirm our biases. We're trying to say, um, well, wasn't I right? Aren't I justified in this anger? Well, that's not what my friend did. He goes, oh, that's fine. He's like, hey, I get it. We all forget those types of things. No biggie. And he just forgave me right then. In fact, I don't even know if he reached a point of forgiving me. He, he was never offended. He never got to that point of offense. Now, I want you to look at this verse 10 again. It says, the one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light so you're walking in light when you're walking in love. My friend in that moment loved me. He loved me as a brother in Christ. So therefore, look at this, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So if we keep this analogy going of walking in light and walking in darkness, then when I'm walking in light when I was in my room and I, I was thinking about my toys and, uh, or wasn't, I was thinking I need to go get a drink and I wasn't thinking about my toys, I tripped over it because I was in darkness. When the light's on, there was no cause for stumbling. When the light was on, when love is in my life, there is no cause for stumbling. My friend sitting in my car could have been mad at me, but love made it where there was no cause for stumbling. What's interesting here about this word is this word stumbling is the Greek word scandalon from which we get scandal. Familiar with that word? Familiar with that one? Church, when we are walking in darkness, there is cause for stumbling. There is cause for scandal. Because what happens when we start to walk around in darkness? What happens if we do not have the love of God illuminating our life? What happens when someone at church says something coarse to me or something judgmental to me or, or someone does something disrespectful or, or someone's inconsiderate and I'm not guided by love, then I'm walking in darkness and I stumble and scandal happens and people get injured and not just a scar on the forehead. But I'll tell you this, since I've been in Troy... I have had two individuals outside of our church tell me they don't go to church anymore or one of them was a specific church because of Christians. Because they, a Christian did something to them that has made them not okay with attending a fellowship of believers. I'm telling you, church, when we walk around in darkness, stumbling happens, scandal happens, injury happens. And I'm telling you, it's a lot more serious than just hitting your head on a toy box. It's a lot more serious when now these two individuals are adults that don't go to church, so now they're raising their kids outside of church. 
And then in one generation, unless God intervenes, unless they surrender to the conviction that I pray is in their hearts, if they ever truly knew, knew Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, unless that happens, then in one more generation, there will be a whole generation completely removed from anything that has to do with Jesus Christ. They won't know the church. They won't know God. They won't know his people. They won't know what it means to serve. Why? Because presumably some Christians were walking around in darkness and stumbling happened and scandal happened. This says, the one who loves his brother or sister remains in light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. When I am guided by love, I don't trip over things. When I'm guided by love, I'm quick to forgive. I'm quick to give the benefit of the doubt. I'm quick to reconcile with people. Look on your notes or on the screen. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. I've read this in previous weeks, but it's applicable here too. It says, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now why? Verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. So when they say something negative to you, judgmental to you, condescending to you, now don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying you can't work out problems, that's fine, but do it in a healthy way. Do it in a biblical way. What I am saying is we must be quick to forgive we must be quick to give the benefit of the doubt. In fact, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13. I'm not going to unpack the whole package. I'm going to preach on that in about five weeks. 1 Corinthians 13, it's on your notes, says this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Now I'm going to pick out a few there. Again, I'm not going to unpack the whole thing, but patience. Christians, how patient are you? There are multiple times in scripture where you may just say, I'm just not a very patient person. Okay, well then that's the thing you need to work on. Scripture doesn't have these things in here to say, well, there are some people that just aren't patient. There, there's some people that God just doesn't expect that with. He, he's okay with your impatience because that's just how you are. Well, anything that's in you that is not of him is something that is there because of sin, and God wants to root it out of you. So when he says love is patient, what if I'm not patient? Okay, then pursue patience. says love is kind, does not envy, is not boastful or arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking. Want, want us to think about how many things, even in a church, are caused because someone is self-seeking. How many scandals or stumbling is caused because someone is self-seeking? whether it be attention or power or whatever, that someone is self-seeking. It says, doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Are you quick to forgive, church? Are you, are you quick to, to say, I, I'm not going to hold that against them? Even if they've never apologized, I'm not going to hold on to that because then I'm carrying the weight. I wonder if there's someone here this morning who's still carrying the weight of unforgiveness, that, that there is someone who has wronged you and you are not acting in love. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. That you are, not, you are not free of that hurt because you haven't forgiven. And then it says, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. No joy in unrighteousness. I'm going to unpack that in a second. The second point in your notes is this. Love keeps us from stumbling. 
you'll stumble without love. Love keeps us from stumbling. As you walk around and interact with people, you have to do it through the lens of truth and love. They have to be partnered together. That's how a Christian has to see the world. There is truth, and how I interact with that truth and with the falsehoods is accompanied with love. And if I'm not doing it that way, then I'm going to cause problems. I'm not just going to get myself dinged up, although that will happen too, but I'm also going to cause problems. I may be the person, if I'm not walking with love, I may be the person that gives another person in the community the testimony that I don't go to church because of Christians. That can't be us. That can't be us. We pray about and, and sing about in the worship service about the Holy Spirit filling this place. And I'm telling you, if, if there is any sin in our life, including hatred and divisions, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about how Christians can't grow when there's sin in their life. And the sin that he specifically mentions is in chapters 1 and 2, that there's divisions. Christians' love has to permeate our lives. Truth, yes, and love. Both of them together. Love keeps us from stumbling. So, let's look at verse 11. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So, I, I, I've just had um, 1 Corinthians 13 up there, and I, I just wanted to do kind of a compare and contrast with you for a second. So, they're going to have it on screen. So, love is patient. So, go ahead and put up the patient versus impatient. I remember when I was uh, in high school, and then my first year of college, something like that, I worked in restaurants. There is no greater test of people's patience than when their order is wrong. I wonder how many Christians sing praise on a Sunday morning, then go out to eat, and then have impatience with a server. I, again, I'm not saying it to hurt you. I'm saying it for your testimony. I'm saying it for your testimony. Christians, it said, this is what Jesus said in John. We read it a minute ago is that Christians are to be known by love, and then he defines love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. One of the descriptors is patience. Now that doesn't mean you feel patience, but how do you act? How, how do you act out your faith? It's okay that your actions go against your internal desires, because there is a war with your flesh, and one of those wars is that we want to lash out verbally or whatever. We want to lash out sometimes because we're human. But God calls us to live for Him. And living for Him means that I put aside the flesh. And I walk in righteousness. I walk in the light. And this passage tells me that walking in the light is to love my brothers and sisters. The next one is selfless versus selfish, uh, selfishness. Selfish? I'm going to get it out eventually. <laughs> selfless versus selfish. I should pick words that are farther apart from each other. <laughs> if we are to be known by love, I want you just to examine yourself for a second. Do people know you as out for yourself or to genuinely care for them? I've said that when I, <clears throat> when I go to eat lunch with someone or get to know them, I, I ask a lot of questions, and it's not just a trick to try to get a chance to present the gospel. It's that they are a soul created by God, who loved them enough to die for them, and I want to get to know them. What do people know you as? Now, I'm not asking you to just start getting paranoid. That's not the purpose of this. What I'm saying is, 
as much as possible on your part, be at peace with all men, as the book of Romans says. What I'm saying is, be known by love. Now, there's some times where we're not going to be able to help how other people feel about us. I get that. We're in a fallen world, and not everybody names Jesus Christ as Lord. I get that. But as much as possible on my part, I'm going to be known by love. As much as possible on your part, be known by love. Pursue the things that are love, meaning patience, selflessness, and then forgiveness. Forgiveness versus grudges. So if this passage says, um, doesn't keep a record of wrongs, is that you? If we're wanting to walk in the light, it tells us we have to love, so I have to be patient, selfless, have to forgive. I can't keep a record of wrongs. I wonder if there's someone sitting here this morning that is keeping a record of wrong. And it's, it's in you and it's festering and, and you've never been free from it and God would have you be free from it. God would have you relinquish that, realizing that every single person is a sinner. So what good does it do to be mad at fellow sinners? Because I promise you there is someone who should be mad at you. Because when I walk in darkness, I stumble. And if I have any hate in my heart, I guarantee I've walked in darkness. I guarantee you I've stumbled because that's what Scripture said. And the last one is joy. Notice it says in 1 Corinthians 13, I don't know if they can pop it back up there on screen really quick. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. That's always been a a weird phrase. It finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. And a Christian may say, well, yeah, of course. All right, but have you ever heard a Christian talk about a non-Christian as if they deserve the judgment that is coming to them? You ever heard that? We're, We're... we're thinking about someone who is apart from Christ and the reality of this human that is fearfully and wonderfully made who Jesus Christ gave his life for. That, that at one time was this precious little baby innocent into this world and, and, and waiting to just experience this world and through whatever it is, they haven't surrendered to God and we as humans sometimes say, yeah, I wish God would get them. I wish God would have this judgment on them. This says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love takes no joy in unrighteousness. Where do you find your joy? Where do you find your joy? It can't be in the unrighteousness of others. Otherwise, you are in the darkness right now. You are the one walking in darkness. This says love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. Now you may say, yeah, the truth is they're going to be judged. I'm right there. Rejoice. No, stop it. The gospel truth. I take joy in knowing that although they are in darkness and apart from Christ, He offers them a way out through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Take joy in that. Take joy in knowing that you have been armed with the most powerful thing that a person could ever be armed with, this seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that if properly planted in a heart, it can take root and give life eternal. Take joy in that. So when I see this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 11, you can look at it with me again. It says, But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He said in four different ways that if that is us, we are blinded. So as you interact with someone, you may not think you've done anything wrong, but what it's telling you is you're blinded. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, if you have resentment towards somebody, if you're just, you think you're better than somebody, whatever it is that isn't acting in love to them, whatever it is that is in your heart, 
God and his word are saying, you are blinded. And what happens when we're blinding, blinded? We stumble. Only the one in the light is there no cause for stumbling. The one in the darkness who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I have a passage, last passage I'm going to cover, Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. This is one of those passages that is kind of an indictment against all sinners. And it says this, And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind, so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. They not only do them, but they applaud others who practice them. This is similar to in Philippians 3.19 where it says people who are in sin, they glory in their shame. To a lost person today, you may feel like the resentment that you have, the hatred, the animosity, whatever it is, the unforgiveness, or any other sin, I just gave you a whole list of sins, is okay in your life. But what this passage just told me is that there is a God who is going to judge you for it. It says, although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die. And when Scripture talks about this kind of death, there is a physical death and also a spiritual death in a real place called hell. And that's where you're going if you don't know Jesus. That's the picture here. And so what God would have you do today is to surrender to him for salvation. That because something has to die for our sins, Jesus Christ died in your place, but then he rose again. We're about to celebrate Easter, Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the Savior of potentially you if you come to know him. But I want to talk to the Christians a second as well. When it says, although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Or as I mentioned, Philippians 3.19 says, they glory in their shame. Christians, we live in a world today that is applauding sin. They're glorifying sin. They're promoting it out. They're forcing it on children. It's just out in the open. No shame, no, no regret, and just throwing it out there. So here's what our response could be. It could be hatred. It could be wishing for this just condemnation toward people. And I'm going to tell you, that's not what I want for them. Here's what I pray. I pray that every single person, whoever has stepped into sin, which is all of us except Jesus, repents of their sins and comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You see, we can know truth and express it in love. I can know truth that people are glorying in their shame and doing things that are depraved and against God. I can know that and not hate them and instead wish that they would turn to the light, which is Jesus Christ, and wish that they'd be saved by Him. What I'm saying is, Christians, that has to be our heart. Because if it isn't, then before we know it, we are the ones walking in darkness. We are the ones stumbling. We are the ones with blinded eyes. Because he doesn't just say the one who knows truth, because light can be associated with truth. He says the one who loves is in the light. And the one who hates is in darkness. 
Christians, this ought to change every way we interact with people. Every time we're offended, every time that that someone says something condescending to us, every time we see someone who doesn't lift the name of Jesus high, in fact, they may blaspheme him. And I don't have to be okay with that, and I shouldn't be. But I can care about their soul. Because I know the truth, and the truth is their soul is in great jeopardy. Christians, this is what ought to guide us. When I was walking in my room at night and tripped over my toy and hit my head on the toy box... It hurt. <laughs> I got a scar to this day. And I remember that lesson that I shouldn't walk around in darkness. But I tell you, just as powerful are the two individuals that I've met since I've been here at Troy. That, now, they may be wrong. They may be lying. They may not be telling me the truth. But they said, because of something of Christians, they don't, either don't, one didn't go to church, the other isn't going to a specific church. Christians, if we want to reach this community for Christ. It's truth and love partnered together. Let's pray. Father God, we open up the altar for a time of prayer. The pastors are going to come forward, and this is an opportunity for someone who's sitting there that has never confessed you as their Lord and Savior, meaning there is someone sitting there and they are not saved today, that they, that they are not a Christian. They are not a follower of Jesus. Maybe they've been interested in the idea of God, or maybe they've been kind of religious, but they've never come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. There's pastors up here this morning. They could come ask how to be saved. And now I, I petition you for myself and my brothers and sisters in Christ. God, so often we step into the flesh and into darkness with how we talk to one another. You call us to walk in the light, and walking in the light is to love one another. God, I pray for someone right now who has unforgiveness in their life. I pray they offer it up to you right now. They say, God, free me from this unforgiveness. Free me from it. We know, God, that when we go to you, you are faithful and just to cleanse and forgive all unrighteousness. You forgive. Help a person here this morning forgive. Liberate them from the unforgiveness that is a shackle controlling their mind and their heart and their life and blinding them, therefore, to their actions. Liberate them, God, from that. Who the, sun, who, who the sun sets free is free indeed. And I pray someone is being set free from that. God, there is someone here this morning maybe that doesn't control their tongue. And the way they speak to people is not patient and kind. And maybe they've been blinding, blinded to it because they've walked in darkness for so long. God, I pray right now you open their eyes. Right now. Help them begin to speak joy and encouragement into people's life instead of of doubt and condescension and negativity and sometimes what feels, God, like hatred. God, I can't cover every different avenue where someone may have hatred in their life. Maybe it's impatience with, with a kid. Maybe it's um, impatience while they're waiting on you because we're called to love you first. And maybe we're impatient with you, God. I can't cover everyone, but I pray right now you're speaking to the heart of every Christian here and that there are ways in which they need to show you love or someone love. And maybe that means they need to go apologize to someone. And then when they apologize, whoever they say to, I pray that that person is quick to forgive. God, you can't do a work on us if there's division. It's hard to work in a church 
if there is anger and resentment and, and a desire for control and, and power and, and all these things, it's all yours, God. And for some reason, you use us. Who is man that you are mindful of us? I don't know, but you use us and love us and died to save us. And you ask us now to walk in light. I don't know what that means for someone this morning, but, but you do. And I pray, God, they give it to you. They have an opportunity to pray in their seat, to come forward and pray, or come talk to a pastor about something. Or maybe, God, they just need to pray for this church to be loving so that when people come in, they just feel the love of Christ. And they could say, ah, those are Christians. I pray it's in Jesus' name. Amen.